You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to preview this weekend's playoff games with former Patriots tight end Jermaine Wiggins, former Steeler offensive tackle Max Starks, and Mike Wabshaw from the Vikings Entertainment Network. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former Steelers running back and Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis. Jerome, thanks so much for taking the time. It's been a while. How are you? I am doing great. How you? How you doing? We're doing good, Jerome. Glad we were capable of finding your representative to get in touch with you because you've been missing. Where you been, man? You've been working on your golf game. I, no, I'm just surprised you guys are still on the air. I thought, um, <laughs> well, Jerome, I'm not going anywhere. So you got to revise that opinion, all right? Now. You know what, man? You can go back to your representative and go to sleep because you sound like you're snoring. How about that one? Hey, GP, we were, we were looking for you on ESPN. What time is that show on? I was snoring listening to um, Cordell. <laughs> <laughs> man, good to have you on, baby. Good to have you on as usual. You know that. Um, going into Pittsburgh, uh, the last game they played against, uh, the last time they played against the Jacksonville Jaguars was in, in October. And, and remembering that game, it, it wasn't pretty when it came to the offensive side of the football, five interceptions. And we saw one of the people that he, we saw one of the actual stations that Ben Roethlisberger talked to, and I think they baited him to saying that he wanted to play the Jacksonville Jaguars again. How do you think the outcome would be this time in a sense of how he plays individually? I think he, he's going to play much better individually. I think, you know, he played probably his worst game as a pro. Uh, and I don't see him following that up with another terrible game. I see because of, uh, the team that he has, and the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars offensively don't look like they're going to be a significant threat, it changes the game plan on how you play them a second time around. You don't have to throw it as much as you probably did the first time around, or and you're not dependent on Antonio Brown as much as he was, Ben was earlier in the year. Um, because of uh, and Penny Brown's injury, it's actually helped him, uh, you know, kind of survey the field much more and be a better quarterback. So I think they'll see a totally different Ben Roethlisberger the, this next game as opposed to when he, when they played him early in the year. Always a pleasure to chat with Jerome Bettis. He's our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's say the Steelers win the Super Bowl next month in Minnesota. Could you envision Ben Roethlisberger retiring after the game? I could envision it. I think it's possible, not probable. Uh, the reason being, you know, he has the ability to, you know, if if they can get Le'Veon Bell figured out at least one more year with the entire group uh, together. So I, I just don't see him walking away when he looks at the uh, the climate, looks at look at his team, and he says, "Hey, we can do this." Uh, one more time. So will he walk away? I don't think so. We know Antonio Brown has been the the face of this receiving core. And let's just say the, even the energy on that side of the football, but look at this kid in Juju Smith Schuster. I mean, he's come in and he's much bigger. Uh, He has the same type of flair, so to speak. How big of a lightning rod has he been for this offense? I think he's been huge because the question mark was always that, that second receiver. 
who's going to be opposite Antonio Brown, who's going to be able to get the job done. And what's happened is I think um, Martavis Bryant coming back has been really beneficial for Juju because what happens is now you put Martavis Bryant, although he was rusty a, a lot early in the season, you still had to respect him, which left that slot area very, very weak. And when Juju uh, was able to step in, really good route runner, really good hands, great size, and pretty good speed. Uh, you factor all that in, you put him in that position. With those two guys outside, it forces teams to have to kind of play those, those safeties a little wider, which leaves the middle of the field open. And uh, Juju has been able to optimize you know, every opportunity he's gotten. I mean, he's, he's been electric. Uh, when he's gotten the football in his hand. So I just think the Steelers are going to you know, try, try to find more ways to get him the football. But, you know, having Antonio Brown uh, outside of him doesn't hurt. Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis is our guest on the NFL on tune. And, Jerome, what do you make of the James Harrison situation since the Steelers cut him after all? Was there anything wrong with him going to the Patriots? Nah, not at all. Ultimately, you know, he wanted to play. Um, they weren't going to give him an opportunity to play. You know, week fifteen, week sixteen. So you got to ask yourself at the end. At the you know, they cut you at at the end of week fifteen. Where where do you go when you have an opportunity to play more than one game? You got to go to a playoff contender. The only one that really needed his services was the Patriots. So yeah, it's not the best place to go. And obviously, because of the rivalry, you know, a lot of people were very upset about that. But but at the end of the day. You know, he still wants to play football, and, uh, you know, you got to give him that opportunity. When you look around the National Football League, the teams that's having success, uh, you find out that the quarterback, and whether it be the head coach or the offensive coordinator, has a good quality control as far as the, the chemistry is concerned. Uh, give me the, from the outside looking in, give me your honest opinion on Todd Haley and Ben Roethlisberger's relationship. Is it one uh, that is good and it just sounds like it's optics and conversations on the outside or is there some truth to it that they don't really see eye to eye and there's some button heads every once in a while? I think, I, I think it's, it's a little bit of both. I think they, they have a, a pretty good working relationship, uh, but there is some, some head butting at, from time to time, uh, whether it's uh, you know, on Ben's side or whether it's on, uh, on Haley's side. I mean, it goes both ways. Uh, so I think it's a little bit of both, but I, I think for the most part they they do a great job of uh, working together. Uh, I just think that you know at some point uh, it can become a little thorny, but uh, never to the point where it affects the the team or the or you know Ben's game. Jerome as one of the greatest running backs in the history of the league, and a former LA Ram. What'd you take away from Todd Gurley's season? Do you think he is the league MVP? I, I thought he had a, a MVP-worthy uh, year, no doubt about it. If you take him off of that Los Angeles Rams team, uh, they don't have a chance. Uh, you know, and so you look at him and look what he was able to accomplish running the ball and receiving the ball. He was um, pretty spectacular this season. Jerome, when you speaking of another running back, uh, Frank Gore. No one's really given Frank Gore 
an opportunity to get the respect that I think he truly deserves because one thing about him, he, he may have not given you the flashy yards. He hadn't, hadn't been with the, the most historical organizations and giving you those yards other than San Francisco, but nothing that stood out that much. But yet he's been steady and consistent and he's been on the football field pretty much every year. Give me your take on what you've seen from him and what he's been able to do just this year alone with the Indianapolis Colts. You know, Frank Gore is a great running back. It's unfortunate that he played with uh, some teams that were just terrible. Um, I mean, weren't, weren't competitive. That's the sad part. And he was still able uh, to get, uh, you know, great yardages uh, from year in and year out. And for him to do what he's doing, yeah, it, it, it takes a while, but that's part of it. He's been durable. He's been available. And he's got it done. And that's something to be said about all of those. So I tip my hat off to him. I think he's a you know, great running back. And he's, he's you know, standing the test of time. Because, you know, he's, he's starting to get, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore. And he's still getting the job done. So you got to give him credit. Jerome, always outstanding to chat with you. Just like you, I'm amazed this show is still on the air. Believe it or not, they're letting us go back to the Super Bowl, so we hope to say hello in person when we get to Minnesota. I'm just going to tell you, you might want to hook your hook hook up with another horse. I'm telling you, be careful. <laughs> I'm just hey, man, I just want to know. I, I'll tell you what. I, I'll tell you what. Cordell has been a, a true friend of mine for, I mean, almost 20 years. Uh, so he is um, definitely a, a really good friend. I joke with him um, because I know he can take it, but uh, he's been a great friend. I just want to know something, man. You know, when it comes to your golf game, is it durable? Is it available? Is it getting any better since you said this in the last thing he, about Frank he, Gore? He should have He should have left it. He, we should have ended the conversation right there. <laughs> and then I know, Jerome. Yep. <laughs> But now he's going right to the toilet. Jeez. Hey, Jerome, by that. Hey, man, you sound like you got to go back to sleep. Just go to sleep, man. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you, you Jerome. Don't sound like you're going to work. So I can't go back to work. It would be the first time either one of us worked. We'll see you in Minnesota. Thank you, Jerome. <laughs> hey, take care. See you guys later. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we welcome in Peter King from the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, always a pleasure. Hard to see the Titans pulling off the upset on the road at Gillette Stadium on Saturday. But let's talk about how things could be coming together in the offseason. We know Mike Malarkey's keeping his job. What other changes, though, do you think could be linked to that coaching staff? Well, you got to wonder with Dick LeBeau uh, turning 81 this year whether uh, they'll bring him back. Um, I think he's probably going to want to work. Uh, but uh, I think Mike Malarkey is going to is going to have to ask 
whether it's working to the best uh, of the team's ability right now. And uh, I do think that's probably the biggest question hanging over their, uh, their coaching staff now that the owner has said that Malarkey will return next year. Peter, many have tried to figure out this matchup with the Titans in New England. You, you've been around the game for a long time, and you've seen one of the most, some of the most lopsided games ever when it comes to matchups. How does the, how does the Titans get it done? Um, Cordell, I think <clears throat> last week they showed a great example of how they get it done. You move Marcus Mariota around in the pocket, uh, and uh, you allow Derrick Henry to do what he did best last week, which is you get some physical yards inside, and you're able at times to get on the edge and, um, and get you know, 15, 18, 22-yard gains. I think that's their best chance. I think the other thing that they did in Kansas City that gets far too little attention, the Chiefs only touched the ball four times in the second half. And to me, I think that was one of the huge parts of that game. Kansas City just didn't have enough chances um, in the second half. Kansas City's defense really just was, uh, you know, allowed way too many long drives in terms of both plays and minutes. And I think that is uh, the formula for Tennessee to have a chance Saturday night in Foxborough. Taking you around the league with Peter King of the MMQB. Peter, what do you make of your colleague Albert Breer reporting, or I think offering an opinion, opining that Kirk Cousins would be open to considering Cleveland as a free agent if he is not hit with the franchise tender for the third consecutive year by the Redskins? I think it's a very simple reason. Um, you know, right now the, uh, Kirk Cousins and his agent, Mike McCartney, um, it's looking like, looking like that they will, uh, be allowed to test the free agent market. Now we don't know that for sure yet, but if they do test the free agent market, why wouldn't you strongly consider a team that finally, has a front office that everybody around the league trusts is going to turn it around, has $100 million this year under the cap, is probably going to pay you more than they'll uh, pay anybody else. Uh, or then, I'm sorry, is probably going to pay you more than anybody else will pay you. Uh, I absolutely unequivocally think he'll consider Cleveland if he's on the free market. You saw Kevin Bird, the safety, tried to all-pro safety, came out and said he wants to make Tom Brady look like Blake Bortles. Impossible. Am I correct? Well, I mean, sometimes players say some things that you just, I mean, I don't know. I, I you know, <laughs> was he thinking when he said that? I, I right. You know, obviously they want to make him look like Blake Bortles. Tom Brady hasn't looked like Blake Bortles since he was about seven years old, I, I don't think. I mean, <laughs> it's a silly thing to say that the greatest quarterback of all time might stink on Saturday, and I don't care if he's playing the, you know, the 76 Steelers. It's, you know, Tom Brady is going to play well. Um, now, as you know, Cordell, Tom Brady is not immune uh, from struggling. I mean, he struggled um, in the playoff game last year against Houston. Um, and uh, they they had to win not just giving the ball to Brady last year in that game. So my feeling is that it's possible to make Tom Brady look just okay, but 
you know, to make him look like Blake Bortles, I mean, you know, that, that is, that's kind of a ridiculous statement, I, I think. Peter King, MMQB, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, we were just talking about the college quarterbacks getting ready for the NFL. As you've had general conversations with scouts and player personnel executives, how are they evaluating this year's group of quarterbacks compared to last year? I think the biggest thing that people in the scouting business have to come to grips with is they have not seen the likely two best prospects play consistently well as college football players. Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold have had some great moments in college football, but not enough of them and not consistently enough. Um, Greg Gabriel, the longtime NFL scout, uh, who now is in the media, told me about midseason. He goes, this, this group of quarterbacks is vastly overrated. They're just not that good. And I think I kind of rolled my eyes at that at the time. Not that I didn't think Greg Gabriel was good. I've known him for a long time and have tremendous respect for him. But I just figured that these guys, you know, the cream would rise to the top. Look, the best quarterback in college football this year, bar none, easily, was Baker Mayfield. And now the big question is going to be, are people going to overlook the fact that he's about six feet and a quarter inch tall? I mean, he's about an inch taller than Drew Brees. And, and you have to ask yourself how much they are going to judge that. And in my opinion, I think, it's, uh, I, I think Baker Mayfield is going to be the best quarterback out of all these guys. And we'll see how high he goes. I, I'm, I've, I've made people's jaw drop, jaws drop in the last few weeks when I said, I, look, I think at the end of the day, somebody's going to take Baker Mayfield in the top ten. I really do. I, I've heard so many good things from people about him. And we'll see. But I think there's a lot of questions about these other guys. That's one of the reasons. You know, when we talk about Kirk Cousins, that's one of the reasons why guys like Kirk Cousins and I think, uh, you know, some other veterans this year, maybe Alex Smith, even though he's not a free agent, uh, and maybe Case Keenum uh, are going to make a lot more money than people might think. Peter, as always, we appreciate the insights. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great weekend. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wonder. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past. And discovered that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. It's time for Cordell and I to visit with former Patriots tight end Jermaine Wiggins. Jermaine, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We are doing, doing well, well. That's good. Getting ready for playoff football, we got going on here. 
Well, does this game even count, Jermaine? Because we are comprehensive with our analysis. Cordell's all in mm-hmm. with the Titans because of his relationship with Mike Malarkey. But everyone we've been chatting with in New England almost views this as a glorified scrimmage. And let's get it on with Pittsburgh coming up next week in the AFC title game. Well, you know, us as fans, we, we, we feel like, you know, this game's not going to be close. When you think about what the Patriots do, when you think about what Tennessee does, uh, yeah, we're kind of like, we're, we're not looking past them, but we're like, all right, let's get to the game and let's do take care of business as fans because I don't think this game is going to be close. Um, as far as playing Pittsburgh next week, I, I'm not sure about that one. they got to get by Jacksonville first. Jermaine, we know the, the, the Patriots have a, a tendency to do it better than most for us being able to stay focused on the moment and getting prepared for what's going to happen in the future. But what we've known so far over the last five games, Tom Brady hasn't been playing the best football. He's thrown six touchdowns, five interceptions. If this offense of this Tennessee Titans football team can be methodical and keep them on the bench, does that hinder them from having a chance to be as effective as we know they can possibly be? No, because when you look at Tennessee's offense, I mean, you think about, you look at the year that Mariota had. He hasn't really had a good year. He's not throwing the ball well. He has more uh, more interceptions than he has touchdowns. And if they want to run the football and get to this whole, you know, everybody's talking about eat up the clock, eat up the clock. Yeah, that's all fine and dandy. But the problem is, you got to be able to score touchdowns. And that's the one thing that the Titans struggle at. You know, when they get down in the red zone, they're not just going to be able to turn and hand it to Henry no more. You're going to have to put the ball in the end zone. And they're not going to be able to do that. What's going to happen is that Tom is going to get on the field with that offense, and we see what this offense will do, go down the field. So even if they kick a field goal, Pat score a touchdown at 7-3, now that changes the game plan a little bit. All it takes is, Cordell, you know better than anybody else, all it takes is when you run the football to get you know, one rush on first down, you maybe get a yard or you're, uh, you lose a yard. Now you're sitting there at second and nine or second and 11. Completely changes your outlook on running the football on second down. Jermaine Wiggins is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Jermaine, since you're from East Boston, you played for the Patriots. It's all about Mm -hmm. New England pride. What do you make of the ESPN report a week ago that all the big names within the Patriots are denying, but you know the allegations. There's friction within the organization. Is this all fake news? What do you think? This is all what, uh, yeah, we like to call it here uh, fake news. It's all nonsense because when you think about the whole Guerrero story, we knew that going into it. We knew that the relationship between Guerrero and Brady and Belichick was a little bit different because Belichick didn't want a guy down there undermining his staff. So we knew that as far as the other stuff where Brady went to uh, Robert Kraft and said, trade Garoppolo. And Belichick says he'll never, you know, he'll never trade Garoppolo. That's all nonsense. As Pats fans and people who are around us, we know that that's a fabrication. Brady wants to be called sir. Brady's upset because he didn't get Patriots player of the week. That's all nonsense, and that's how we viewed that story because there was no sources. It was all, you know, hearsay. There was no fact in there, and that's the biggest thing. When you're the Patriots and you've been so successful for so many years, everybody's gunning for you, and they'll do it in every way because they want to see they want to see your organization crumble. You mean I would love to expand the conversation just a little bit because you didn't you didn't just play for the New England Patriots. You also played with the Minnesota Vikings. And watching that team with the little time that you may have or you may have watched him uh, in an extended time, um, Case Keenum and this defense and this offense, they're playing some of the type of football that you would love to be playing this time of year. How much confidence do you have in what they've been able to do, but most importantly, how Case Keenum has been playing? 
Well, I think he's been playing well. The thing, the reason why he's able to play well is when you look at Minnesota, I mean, I would probably say Minnesota's got the best defense out of all the playoff teams that are left. So now Case Keenum, he doesn't have to go out there and force the issue. And I think that's the biggest thing. When you're a quarterback and you're in a position where they, the team does not want you to go out there and do too much, when you have a defense like Minnesota and you don't have to force the issue, the game becomes easier for you because now he knows, hey, listen, if I play smart, if I do the right thing, I don't put our team in a bad predicament, predicament here. I know defensively we're going to be able to make some plays, and all i got to do is make those plays that are there on offense rather than trying to force things in and trying to do too much. And I think that's the thing with Minnesota when you see how Case Keenum has been playing. He knows that defense is, is tremendous, and he knows all i got to go out is don't turn the football over and make good decisions. Chatting with Jermaine Wiggins. He's our guest on the NFL on Tune. And Jermaine, we know at this stage of the season there are no perfect teams, so while the Patriots have a comprehensive approach, what do you think their weakness could be if they have one? Well, I think the weaknesses, and we've seen this before, is if they're not able to protect Brady, then what happens is that's when we see issues with the Patriots. And we, if you look at some of those, uh, those, those, those interceptions that he threw in the last you know, five or six games of the, uh, the regular season, it's about teams getting pressure on him, making him feel uncomfortable back there. And if you can do that and you can affect Brady like that, then that's going to make him be in a position where he presses the issue he tries to do too much, and that's what leads to some of the bad decision-making. If they can protect him, um, which they were doing most of the season, then that's when you see Brady at his best. But anybody who played the position, Cordell will tell you this, when you're a quarterback and you're worried about that pressure, things get a little bit different in that pocket. Yeah, it does. It doesn't look as friendly. Let's just say that, Jermaine. Nope. <laughs> uh, but speaking of friendly, uh, it hasn't been too friendly on the edge uh, for this defense throughout the entire season, but you end up grabbing uh, James Harrison, who ended up giving you in a small sample size against the Jets, five tackles, uh, two sacks, and one fumble recovery. How big of an impact you think he'll be able to make to be able to shore up the edge and not allow anything on the outside? Well, I mean, I think that he can definitely have an impact. We've seen Bill bring guys in before um, that have contributed. You know, you've seen it with uh, Lee, who can't we they got from Buffalo's practice squad. When you look at Harrison, I, I definitely believe he's still got some gas in the tank, a guy that can set the edge, especially against a team like uh, Tennessee that wants to run the football. The biggest thing is if you can set the edge and you make the, those teams run up the middle, things get a little bit more difficult. But if, if teams are able to offensively establish the edge and get their – running back and get a guy like Henry outside, put on some of those corners and safety, it could, it could make things tough for the Patriots. Um, but you got a guy like Harrison that might have an opportunity to get in there and take advantage of that, get some reps and make when it comes to setting that edge and being stout right, right at the point of attack. Jermaine, as a former tight end, you have to appreciate the impact Rob Gronkowski's had this year. I think Tom Brady's going to win the league MVP award. He's going to get more votes than Todd Gurley of the Rams. But if we're just talking about the team MVP in New England, do you think Gronk has been that player? I mean, Gronk is definitely, in my opinion, he's he's by far the best tight end in the NFL right now. I wouldn't necessarily say he's the team MVP because we've seen the Patriots win a Super Bowl without him last year. Obviously, when you talk about the Patriots and their MVP, we all know it's Tom Brady. But putting Brady aside, when you talk about Gronkowski, you have a guy that that's that's as big as him, as athletic as him, and has great body control, it's so difficult to defend this Patriots offense. If he's healthy, 
moment into this playoff, and I think that's going to be the difference when you look at the Patriots and being able to win these games by 10, 14 points is because you have a guy like Gronkowski and his ability to take advantage of the middle of the field, his ability to line him up wide, go one-on-one, throw it up against smaller DBs or safeties, or just outrun linebackers. When you look at the National Football League and you look at the quarterback position, majority of times the most favorable player at that position is the backup. We know who the starter is. Everyone glorifies him. But we know the backup is, is the most viable one and the most needed one at times. When you look at Philadelphia, they have Nick Foles. We're assuming that he's going to play good because he's been in his system for a while. Case Keenum, we've seen what he's done filling in for Sam Bradford. But you guys there in New England. You're now stuck with Brian Hoyer and you don't have Jimmy Garoppolo. How big of a loss of not having how big of a loss is it not having Jimmy Garoppolo in the, in the lineup if something were to happen to Tom Brady? Well, I mean, it's obviously a loss when you look at Garoppolo and what he's been able to do and the type of player that he potentially could be. But we are we're a little bit more realistic up here in New England. We know that when you talk about Tom Brady, if he goes down, can the Pats rip? Brady, it's going to be extremely difficult whether you have uh, whether you have Garoppolo or whoever back there. But to, to lose a player like Garoppolo, it it was in, it was at that time. I mean, the, the kid's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Um, you're not going to franchise tag him when Brady still hasn't shown any sign of slowing down. He knows that. Listen, you got guys like. Derek Carr making $25 million a year and Matthew Stafford making $27 million a year. And everybody expects Garoppolo to be the next big thing. So why would he sit behind Brady? Why would he stay here? And if you're the Patriots, you know you can't keep two quarterbacks and you're not moving on from Tom Brady. So you got to give Jimmy G the chance to go somewhere else and you got to try to get something back for him. And I think that's ultimately what the Pats did. And, you know, knock on wood, if something would happen to Brady, I mean, I think that... <laughs> It would, be, it would be all she wrote anyways, whether you had Garoppolo or not. Jermaine, since we're all radio guys, let's wrap it up with our business. I heard you years ago doing sports talk on 98.5 Sports Hub in Boston. Mm-hmm. How did you make the transition to the world of hip-hop? Well, the, the world of hip-hop said, hey, listen, we'll give you some health insurance and benefits. And that's the reason why. <laughs> so you got simple. out of sports. That's, that is a wise move, Jermaine. <laughs> it's that simple. It's all about the benefits. You know what I mean? I could talk, whether, whether we're talking about the sun and how it sets on the east and the west, or we're talking about the best quarterback in the position, or we're talking about Kim Kardashian. To me, it doesn't matter. I can talk trash with the best of them. There's well, a line what, that Jermaine. we open our show with every day, me saying, it's a talk show, we talk. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, Cordell. We're just yeah. moving it from point A to it, point B. It doesn't matter, but based on what you just said, Jermaine, as you guys would say up, that part of, up there in that part of Boston, uh, it's pretty smart uh, of you That's to it. be able to go in that direction that you've gone in because all the benefits, bro. That's all that matters, you know? That's all that matters. Yep. Thank you, Jermaine. We appreciate hey. the insights. Enjoy the game this weekend. Not a problem. You guys have a good one. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John. S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. 
Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by Will Carroll, the injury expert. Will, thanks for taking the time. So I've seen the video of Antonio Brown playing soccer against Ocho Cinco. Should I safely presume he's going to be 100% when he gets on the field this weekend against the Jacksonville Jaguars coming back from the calf injury? Yeah, you know, the video showed us that he was able to move, that he was able to move in all planes. What we didn't see was any rapid acceleration, any hard stops. So there's still a risk of re-injury. There's no way that the tissue that was damaged in the previous strain has completely healed up. There's scar tissue there. It's healing, but it is not healed. So he could overstrain that, put too much stress on that weak point, and have a problem early, late, pretty much anywhere along there. So they're going to be watching him closely. They're going to, if they know there's something that really stresses it, they're going to make sure to keep him away from that. And one of the things that I'm going to be watching is what does the medical staff do on the sidelines? Is he going to need to ride the bike to keep it warm? Is he going to need some sort of treatment at halftime? Uh, there's not really any way to deaden this. This isn't a pain issue. This is really a functionality issue. But very good signs so far. Seems like they've handled this thing right since it happened to make sure he's ready for the important moments, not only here, but Pittsburgh is certainly hoping this is not their last week of play. Well, give me your take on Chris Hogan, the wide receiver for the New England Patriots. We know they have Cooks and they have Rob Gronkowski and a few other players on his offense, but Hogan is a big part of their success. Tell me about his shoulder and his injury. Yeah, you know, he's had this shoulder injury for quite a while now, and this is similar in function to what we've seen with a lot of quarterbacks this year. They get slammed down. uh, His was a direct hit to the shoulder, and it just kind of moved out of socket and stressed that uh, ligament in the front. So uh, very similar to what we've seen with Andrew Luck. Uh, Tom Brady had this uh, earlier this year in his non-throwing. Jameis Winston had it. So he's just got to be able to get – function. First, is it going to be able to hold up if he goes down? That's a pain management issue for him. But is he able to reach up? Is he able to keep guys off him? He should have progressed at this point. Normally, these issues take about six to eight weeks to fully heal up. Obviously, he's been trying to play through it a little bit, uh, but the multiple targets, the multiple looks that Tom Brady wants to have uh, with with Edelman out, uh, certainly this is a guy they want to have out there. And in a key moment, they're going to try to have him out there doing as much as he can do. What I'm curious about is because nobody really expects this game to be close, are they going to limit him? Are they going to have him on sort of a play count? Uh, if they get up by a couple touchdowns, are they going to use him less? Uh, are they going to protect Gronkowski, another guy who uh, has every talent in the world except durability? So I'll be watching that closely if they get a big lead. Talking injuries with Will Carroll. Well, let's go through the chronology. Take us back to getting set for the regular season finale between Jacksonville and Tennessee. According to reports, DeMarco Murray is going to try to give it a go with the knee injury, obviously did not play, has not played since, not going to play against the Patriots. What has changed in the intervening weeks? Uh, Not much, and that's the unfortunate part. He has that MCL sprain. There's likely some hamstring tendon damage as well. They haven't been very specific about that. But the symptomology, the way it was injured, what we call the mechanism of injury, uh, certainly matches up with that. So what we're looking at is just a non-functional knee. He can't go out there if his knee isn't stable. They tried to brace him early, put a big brace on there. He just couldn't move. Uh, So you were going to have 50% of him. And with the way Derrick Henry is playing, 
That's why they had those two to begin with. They wanted to keep them going. Uh, they didn't think one could hold up all season long. Well, they, they were right. Uh, unfortunately, it happened to Murray at, at the time when they needed them both. But um, Henry has shown he can carry the load. He can be uh, certainly productive. Uh, you worry whether that workload in the last couple of weeks is going to catch up with him either this week or down the line if they're able to make it past the Patriots. But they've been kind of playing in the uh, this week might be the last week mode. They'll worry about next week if they get there. And let's face it, they probably aren't. Murray's knee isn't going to be a long-term problem. This is a four- to six-week injury. The problem was they had to try to get him ready in three weeks. Well, we had an opportunity to see Cam Newton in the playoffs play this New Orleans Saints team for the third time. We saw him play a really good game, but in the latter part of that game, we saw him scrambling and trying to make a play, and he ended up getting taken a big hit that ended up causing maybe his head or even his eye. Give me your take on uh, the concerns or what we've heard so far with Cam Newton and his injury. Well, the first thing, and I do want to note this, Cam was throwing the ball really, really well. And remember that he had a very similar surgery to Andrew Luck on a very similar timeline. That labrum tear, the little rotator cuff damage that he had, he's done really well. So full credit to to Cam for working hard, uh, to that medical staff and surgeon for getting him back and ready. As for the concussion or maybe not concussion, it looks bad because we were dealing with this last week or changes to the policy. Uh, let's say he did get poked in the eye or now I'm hearing that some of the substrate, the sub underneath the artificial turf came up and kind of puffed in the eye. And that does happen. And it's certainly uncomfortable. Uh, it's like sand being thrown in your eye. Uh, you know, he went down to a knee saying that he wanted to do that so that Anderson had a little extra time to warm up. The problem is you saw his head hit. You saw him wobble a little bit coming off the field. Uh, we saw that with Travis Kelsey in, in the Chiefs game where he took a, a nasty helmet-to-helmet hit, and from the second he got up, you could see he was wobbly. That, that symptom's called ataxia, and, and uh, the NFL talks about uh, having trouble maintaining verticality. And he certainly was. So they didn't even have to test him on the sidelines. They knew you take him back, you get him off the field, uh, and, and you get him into the, the uh, further tests that happen in the locker room. Uh, with Cam, because he went down, because kneeling and taking a break, getting off the field actually functions under the concussion uh, testing protocols, he should have done the same exact thing. They should have taken him back. Now, he may have just been gaming the system, but at some point, we have to say, do these concussion rules mean anything, or are we just going to toss them aside when it's the star quarterback? Because if we are, we ought to just do that. We ought to acknowledge that these guys are out there at risk, that we understand the violence and the danger, and if you're perfectly willing to accept that, well, why are we you know, going through sort of kabuki theater of a concussion protocol that people clearly uh, don't follow the letter of? Injury analyst Will Carroll is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Will, last one for me. Should Falcon fans be concerned about Julio Jones' ankle heading into the game Saturday in Philadelphia? It should be concerned. Uh, as we said last week, you know, he's had a lot of foot injuries. He's had some leg injuries. Uh, like Rob Gronkowski, he's a guy who has every skill in the book except for durability. I worry about this ankle a little bit more because of the foot problems he's had, but he adjusted very well. As I said, I expected him to be a much more physical receiver because he couldn't just run by people, and that's exactly what we saw. Matt Ryan knew what he could do, knew what he, he was going to be taxed to doing, and they kept him very, very safe, made the best use of the skills that he was at 100%. Watch for him again to use his big body, those 
giant hands, that strength that he has uh, to go in what should be a very good game. Well, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks a lot, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wonder. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by Mike Wobshaw of the Vikings Entertainment Network. Mike, the bye week typically useful for teams to get healthier. How are the Vikings doing on the injury front? Yeah, I think um, I think it was useful from that standpoint for the Vikings, too. We're uh, hopeful that Pat Elfline will be back at center. He missed Week 17. I think tight end Kyle Rudolph, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that his injury is one where he'll be 100% healthy until he can rest it, uh, his leg injury. So I think he's about as good as he can get, which is pretty good. Um, and so I think generally speaking, we're good um, injury-wise. Um, you know, in terms of the guys who can play. Now we did um, we did add a couple of names to the injury report here this week. I, they're veterans, so I'm I'm sort of hoping it's just sort of rest um, and that they're going to be good to go for Sunday. But Everson Griffin and Terrence Newman showed up on it uh, today. And uh, but you you know you guys know how this point of the season is. No one's 100. percent Everyone's nicked up a little bit. And you just got to try and tough it out. Mike, when you look at this game and what the New Orleans Saints is capable of doing, they got two backs in the backfield that, that rush for 1,000 yards apiece, and they've changed yeah. their philosophy offensively on, on how they actually approach games. Do you think this defense with, with Harrison Smith and also Kendricks, the linebacker, they're capable and ready to take on the pressure that maybe Sean Payton may bring by applying the pressure by running the football as opposed to passing it? Yep, I think that's a really important part of this matchup. Last season, the Vikings struggled uh, in the second half of the season against the run, so they went into the offseason committed to being better against the run, and they did that. Um, they were very good against the run this season. And, you know, the Saints, though, they're as balanced as they've ever been um, with Drew Brees at quarterback. You know, they the last five years, they ranked second, 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 fourth, and second in passing attempts. This season, they ranked 19th, and that's because they have Ingram and Kamara they can rely on, yet Breeze still had a passer rating of 103, and they're still a top-10 passing offense. So they're really balanced, and I think they are nearly impossible to stop if they are running the ball effectively. So I do think priority number one for the Vikings is stopping the run. Can they do it? Cordell, I think they can, you know, with Linval Joseph and, um, and Everson Griffin. They're both good run stoppers uh, on the front line. And like you said, Harrison Smith and Kendricks and Barr have been pretty solid against the run this season. So I do think they have the ability to do it. But, I mean, um, you know, everyone's talking about their left guard being out, Andrews Pete, but they do have Teron Armstead in the lineup, and they did not have Armstead, their left tackle, in the lineup back in week one. So I have a lot of respect for the Saints running game and for the Vikings run defense. I think it'll be a good battle. But I think when all is said and done, 
offensively for the Saints, it's going to come down to Drew Brees because I think the Vikings are going to do a good enough job on Ingram and Kamara. Talking Saints with Mike Wabshaw, Vikings Entertainment Network, Vikings Team Channel here on TuneIn. I alluded to the Week 1 matchup. Vikings pounded the Saints. Clearly everything's changed, especially at the quarterback position. As Sam mm-hmm. Bradford was the winning quarterback that night. But do you think Minnesota, at least internally, can derive some confidence from that performance? Because that was a comprehensive win. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think there are enough personnel changes in this matchup compared to the last one where we can't just assume that the Vikings offense is going to cruise and score 30 points. But it's still the Vikings. It's The schemes are still the same. You know, Mike Zimmer's scheme is still the same on defense. Pat Shermer's scheme is still the same on offense and the same for Sean Payton and his offensive defense. So, you know, I... I really think the Vikings need to get more explosive, and I'm not complaining about the offense. They scored three touchdowns against the Bengals at home. They scored three touchdowns against the Bears at home. And I think scoring three touchdowns in this game will give the team a really good chance to win the game. But I do think the team is looking to take advantage of opportunities to explode on this team, not necessarily construct 10 and 12 play drives. I think they want to be explosive. I think they want to hit shots over the top in the passing game. And I think they want explosive runs. You know, when you get to this stage of the playoffs, the teams and the defenses are good enough where if you're relying on 10 and 12 play drives, you're kind of playing with fire because eventually a mistake's going to happen, a penalty, a turnover, a sack, something like that. So you got to be able to explode. I think that's a point of emphasis for the Vikings offense this week. Yeah, it is, but but it's played, I think, more in the hands of Case Keenum in a sense of having a little bit more control as opposed to trying to force the hand because I think that plays more into the New Orleans Saints' hand because they have the most explosive offense. And normally, and correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, the cliche thing to do is, is to try to keep them on the sideline, let them sit a little bit longer yeah. than normal, and allow McKinnon as well as Murray, as well as, and also Case Keenum, be able to scramble, keep those first downs coming, but not kick field goals off of those types of drives, but score touchdowns, which will now take them out of running the football, which now takes them to throwing the football, which you said they're in a little bit past the middle of the pack, and now you're playing to the hands of that Minnesota Vikings defense, correct? Yeah, yeah, no, I do think you're right about that. You know, and and then when you get into those, you know, the good thing about those 10 and 12 play drives is you're, you're getting the defense rested, to your point, Cordell. And, you know, there's also something to be said about you know, um, establishing the tempo and being in control with your offensive line that is just good for a football team. So I don't, I don't mean to spit at the, the idea of 10 and 12 play drives. I just think the Vikings need to be able to explode because, you, you know, we've yeah. talked about this too, guys. Like, yeah. what if some things go the wrong way and the Vikings are down 10 points in the middle of the third quarter? Can they come back and win? We've talked about that this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think that you're right, that establishing the running game, getting the defense rested, winning the time of possession battle is important. I just want there to be times where the offense is able to take advantage of a mismatch with Thielen or Diggs and strike from, from long range. I think that's an important element to have in the playoffs, especially if you're going to have to go against a Falcons team or a Patriots or Steelers team, you know, those teams can do that. And I think you're going to have to be able to match that at times. 
Mike, let's wrap it up with a little bit of historical perspective. We often mention Marvin Lewis has never won a playoff game in his tenure in Cincinnati. Well, Mike Zimmer was a longtime assistant with the Bengals. In fact, I was surprised when I saw this nugget. Mike Zimmer's last playoff victory as an assistant coach, 1996 in Dallas. How much is that being discussed this week in Minnesota? Well, uh, not by me. I'm not going to bring it up to you. I wouldn't say you leave with that. Hey, Coach, I have a little factoid for you. Uh, yeah, but you're right, you know, um, you know, in historical perspective, this is the first, uh, playoff game at U.S. Bank Stadium and obviously the Super Bowl being in Minnesota. There is a lot of talk about, about all that, but not a lot of talk about, um, you know, Mike Zimmer having not won a playoff game since the nineties. I'm sure he would love to get that monkey off his back. I think he felt like he had that accomplished in 2015, when the Vikings um, were trailing 10-9 to with only a few seconds to go and Blair Walsh was on for a 27-yard field goal to win the game and he missed it and the Vikings lost 10-9. to So um, hopefully we have more offensive output uh, this week and hopefully the game doesn't come down uh, to a field goal. You like to have the game in hand. But you're right. I mean, Mike Zimmer's been to the top of the mountain. He knows what it takes to get there. And he made that comment this week, guys. You know, he said, the last, you know, you've got to cherish these playoff runs and you got to prepare and be ready because they don't come very often. And he said, the last time I won the Super Bowl was in the 90s. So, you know, this doesn't come around all the time. you got to take advantage of it. Mike, we appreciate the information. Enjoy what should be a tremendous game this weekend. And we'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Okay, sounds good, guys. Have a good day. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in former Steelers offensive tackle, Max Starks. Max, thanks for taking the time to come back on the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Brian and Cordell. How are you guys? We are doing well and want to talk about what's working in Pittsburgh with you. Steelers have such a deep squad. If you had to pick one individual, who do you think was the team MVP this year? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> like you said, it's such a Everybody really kicked in. I mean, when you look at this team, it was a total team effort throughout the year. Um, but, I mean, you, I, I would have Antonio Brown and the pace he was injured was MVP worthy. So, I mean, I, I have to say A.B., but a close second is Le'Veon Bell and, what, and, what, and the dimension he brings because he's a two-dimensional athlete at the running back position. Actually, when you look at this offense, great to have you on. You know, it's always good to be with you. Uh, when you look at this offense, even going back to the time in which you were there, give me your take on how explosive they are because if you don't have Antonio Brown, you know Juju Smith-Schuster kind of fills that void because he has the same explosiveness from a special team standpoint as well as receiver. You have Martavis Bryant, and you also mentioned Le'Veon Bell. Is this probably the most explosive offense you've seen in a long time with Pittsburgh? Yeah, I, I would I would have to agree with you there, Cordell. It was, it's, it's the most explosive um, because just because all the levels are there, you look at the way that offensive line works with Le'Veon, 
uh, because he's such a different style of running back. And you just, you can't account for it. He's so patient. He's so slow, but then he just kicks into a higher gear, uh, you know, in a flash and you're just left stuck. Like, wait a second, I was slow playing. I was slow playing. Now he's ran five yards past me as a linebacker. And you can't fill holes because once you fill a hole, he jumps and ducks backwards. So, this offense, what it provides I me, mean, having three dynamic receivers, having the running back that you do, the only thing that's missing really is that, that, that really good Keith Miller type tight end. You know, Jesse James kind of does it at moments. They've tried um, a couple times to find that other guy, Vance McDonald, was one of them, and then um, bringing in Green from San Diego, but he couldn't stay healthy. That's the only thing they're missing. Other than that, they have complete autonomy on the offensive side of the ball. Max Starks is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's slide over to the defensive side of the football, I'm sure. Joe Hayden, happy to be liberated from Cleveland. As you look at the defense level by level, how much improvement have you seen on the back end in the secondary? Well, you know, the funny thing is this defense has always been solid in this front seven. The front seven has always been solid. And this back half has always been kind of the question because it got old. Um with Ike Taylor and Troy Palomalu and not really bringing in young guys to kind of fill that void and kind of, you know, have that gap um, bridging the young guys to the older guys. And so now you're starting to see that group start to get, really get mature and adding a Joe Hayden, who is a guy who I still feel is a very good cover corner and can still play well in, in their cover two scheme because of his own blitzing. So it, it's matured a lot. The only thing I'm worried about with the defense is depth. And when you look at that, you saw the, the Ryan Shazier injury and then now moving in more so of um, having Arthur Motes in that position. Arthur Motes was an outside linebacker. He's done, he's, done, he's done a decent job. But I feel like when you get to the, those moments where you have to cover the tight end with your, with your middle backers, that's where it's going to be where that depth is lacking because you already moved Vince Williams in, um, to the other buckbacker position. So behind them, there's not a lot of depth on this team. But that secondary has, has matured a whole lot, and they can cover you know, receiver for receiver now. Um, and then that, the defensive line gives them enough time to actually apply pressure to the quarterback. So they work well. I'm just worried about the depth of that group. Actually, you know, being in Pittsburgh, from the fan base to the organization and, and as well as the team, there's a tremendous amount of passion and emotion that derives around that city and that team. When you saw James Harrison leave and you felt that energy, that passion, that emotion, and, and how people felt when he went over to New England, do you think that was fair uh, to James Harrison to have the backlash as if you know he was supposed to just sit home and wait until someone called him when he was let go at the 11th hour, knowing that probably no one would get him? But he did have Darth Vader give him a call, and he's now with the New England Patriots. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and I love the passion and the fandom, that, that surrounds Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh sports in general because that's, that's, you know, there's a few places where it is true fan allegiance across the world. And I get fans being upset, but I don't fault James at all because, like you said, James did not have the – he did not get the play time. He was not on the field. He was inactive, healthy scratches for five games. And he had been there for, you know, 15 years. So – for him to go to New England, a team that wanted him, that needed a pass rush, and he could provide that service, and he knew he'd get playing time, he can't fault them for wanting to go after a ring. And, you know, fans, of course, upset. Emotional game, week 15, against the Patriots. You lose in that fashion. 
people are still high emotionally because New England's been that kind of thorn in Pittsburgh's side for, I mean, the better part of a decade. So for him to go over there, I feel like they betrayed he betrayed them. But in actuality, he's trying to continue his career. I mean, that's that's our job, Cordell. You know, we're we're hired we're hired mercenaries <laughs> to a degree, and you know, and the loyalty level only goes as far as your functionality within the team concept. So his functionality had diminished with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but there was a need there in New England for him, and they they needed they needed that help. And you saw he provided an instant boost his first game with them. You know, he he beat up poor left tackle on the on the uh, on the Jets. My my good buddy Kelvin Beecham and had two sacks and, and you know a forced fumble and then three tackles for a loss. Chatting with Max Starks, former Steelers offensive lineman. Max, I know you and Cordell are both objective journalists. You don't root for the Steelers at least out loud, but we know where your allegiances lie. You look at Jacksonville. One of the best defenses in all of football, Leonard Fournette ran wild against the Steelers on the road to Pittsburgh during the regular season. I know Ben Roethlisberger gave the game away with the five picks, but let's say Blake Bortles plays like he did prior to imploding down the stretch. Remember, he had that span of three games, seven touchdowns, no picks. If we see the good Blake Bortles, how competitive could this game be on Sunday? I think this game could get very competitive. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the offensive firepower that the Steelers have and, and the lack of offensive firepower outside of the run game that Jacksonville possesses, even though I know Blake Bortles had a great day rushing the ball against Buffalo, um, I don't see that happening. I mean, this is a completely different team from that Week 5 victory that they had, and the weapons that they have at their disposal is a better relationship because you've gone through a season. And the Steelers' defense, I mean, gets after the quarterback – a lot, and they're t- you know they're top three in sacks in that category. So it's going to be a tough day for this Jacksonville team offensively. I think defensively can keep them in it for a while, but there's only so much you can do because you only have an AJ Boye and um, and Jalen Ramsey to cover two of those receivers. There's still a third receiver you have to account for, and the way that they use Antonio Brown with traveling him, they're not going to be in man. They play a lot of a lot of zone coverage and go in man. Once they get towards the red zone, once they get pushed into the red zone, so it's going to be tough for them to really single out a receiver and try and isolate a guy out because there's other guys who can pick up the slack. Now, defensively on their line, they can hold Le'Veon at bay, but if they start going into five receiver sets where they where they deploy Le'Veon into that slot position, now you bring another linebacker out there that's not going to be able to cover Le'Veon. Max, we always enjoy our conversations with you. Enjoy the game this weekend. Look forward to chatting with you in the future again here on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, guys. Y'all take care. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.